Who works with pens, you know, out there in the real world? Us office max people. Maximising. Maximising good public policy outcomes through office the use of maximizing. a pen. Oh, the power of a pen, right? Power of the sword. All that good stuff. What about the power of the pod? Don't talk about that, dude. David Cunliffe remains about as popular in the Labour caucus as a pussycat at Gareth Morgan's house. Look, this is a la-la budget. When my eyebrow goes up, it's a joke. Police still arrest criminals in New Zealand. We tried cannabis prohibition for the past 40 years. The fact is, that was a boring, useless speech. Sip it, sweetie, I'm getting there. Mr. Speaker, they say a week is a long time in politics. Hello and welcome back to the Iron Duke Podcast, your weekly recap of all things policy and politics, where we run you through our peaks and uppets, interesting bits and anything that fits from Aotearoa and around the globe. I'm Maddie Burgess-Smith. <laughs> that's my own name. Yeah, we can use that. That's a good cut. <laughs> See, two weeks off, that's what it does. And I'm Byron Terrace, the principal consultant here at Iron Duke Partners. We've got a great episode for you today, ladies and gentlemen out there in listener world. We're going to discuss a few things around migration and labour shortages. We're going to talk about how Kiwis are ready to see the world and also joined later on by Delepa Fonseca, the stuff journalist that everyone absolutely loves to read because he's got one of the most insightful brains in journalism in this country. So, Maddie. I'm going to kick off with my peak of the week, which is that the government announced that they will now be supplying free rats and free masks to anyone who wants them. You know, at six, seven bucks each, and you've got a household of four sick kids. Yeah. That starts to become quite an expensive exercise to, yeah. to keep your keep workplace, school, community, friends, family safe. Yeah, not to mention your nose. Not to mention your nose. So free masks and free rats, it's short, it's sweet, it's my peak of the week, and it's also led to more people actually testing, which is cool. Yep. We know that we're undercounting every day when you see that 10,000 flash up on the front page of stuff. Probably more like 30,000, let's well, be well, honest. Potentially, and I see that on the back of that announcement, the Ministry of Health is going to conduct a survey of a random sample of New Zealanders to find out just how prevalent COVID-19 is in the are community. Are we still testing wastewater? Uh, yeah, we are, but now it's kind of like the whole country's got gotcha. COVID, so it's like, well, the wastewater testing was nice when we didn't know who had it and there were only little pockets here and there, and now the Ministry of Health is saying, ah, we know that there's under-reporting to your last point, but we've actually got to go out and do our own survey of how prevalent is COVID-19 in the community because... How prevalent is it on this podcast? <laughs> One of us sounds healthy, the other smells well, hey, that's like ex- me. That's spicy. Anyway, yeah. fine, what's your peak of the week? Uh, my peak of the week is Kiwis in unprecedented volumes are increasingly interested in looking at travel overseas. For the first time in two years, we've reached pre-pandemic levels of interest in searching online for travel overseas, and in some markets, we are blowing out more Kiwis than ever are interested in getting out there and having a look and having a holiday and seeing the rest of the world. And the reason I think that's a good thing is because we have become a little bit insular here in New Zealand over the last two years. I think we've said that numerous times on the podcast, Mm. and it's good that people want to go and experience something different. Tourism Fiji, to their credit... Even in their little advertising Hated it. You can even tell Chris that we've got plenty of room to spread your legs. Hey, come on, Dr. Bloomfield. Come and have a break with so our traffic bad. light drink. I, was just, I, I, I think it's great. It's, it's really good. You know, the world's just starting to reconnect. You know, it's a big part of the Prime Minister's agenda as she's been flying around the world, reconnecting New Zealand, reconnecting with her diplomatic mm. colleagues and things like that. Buried in the statistics from uh, Google New Zealand, a increasing interest in people wanting to come to New Zealand. So that'll be welcome news for our tourism sector. But, Maddie, as we've talked about, the hospitality and tourism sector are facing severe labour shortages. Yeah, I'm super concerned about the labour shortages in the tourism sector. 
It needs defibrillation. <laughs> and you can't bring anything back to life if there's no one to hold the defibrillator, right? Nice. And like, that's labour shortages piece. Nice. I've been doing a little bit of reading about it because it's not just New Zealand. Everywhere's struggling with labour shortages. UK, 1.3 million jobs available at the moment. 40,000 of them are nurses, which sounds, sounds similar. a little bit mm. like home. Interesting side note, 4.5% of all nurses across the world in the last year have just left the workforce, not returned, hung up their stethoscope and called it a day. US, 10.4 million jobs out in the market. And there are some, some really reoccurring reasons, particularly in Western economies as we come out of COVID as to why this is. There's been a mass retirement, right? Mm. This was already coming on pre-COVID. Our workforce is ageing, but there has been an exodus. More people have decided to retire. People have just left the workforce altogether. They've gone into roles in the gig economy. They've started their own business. They've become consultants and made a huge amount of money like we do. Yeah, entrepreneurs, great. Sure, immigration hasn't returned yet. There are people who have gone home to the mothership, wherever they may be from, and they haven't made their way back out. They stayed home with family, right? Yeah, precisely. There's also been a reshuffling piece. This is interesting. 30% of all people who have left their jobs have done so without having a new job. It's a great resignation. Yeah, and then the big one is just the skills gap, right? The nature of what we need people to do has changed and people can't keep up. So the workers that we have available to us don't necessarily have the skills in automation, Nursing, doctors, um, you know, hospitality, tourism, truck drivers. What we need ain't what we got. And, and the reason it's my pit of the week is to your point, right? Like as these industries start to return, we don't have the people to fire them up. It's also leading to massive disruptions in our supply chains. And most importantly... Uh, I can't get a beer because it's not being poured for Inflation. me. Inflation. Oh, right. Okay. Inflation. Yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah. Because as we desperately try to hold on to people, we just pay them exuberant amounts of money. Yeah, that's very true. You know, you, you've got wage inflation, which is all part of the migration challenge. And the government's hypothesis on migration is you restrict migration and you force businesses to either fail or invest in productivity, i.e. mechanisation and all that kind of stuff. And that brings me to my pit of the week. And the government's finally revealed the next part of the great migration policy. It's got two kind of flagships that have come out in the last week and a half. First one, if you're a migrant here on a work visa, technically temporary and mm -hmm. on the pathway to residency, your partner no longer has work rights. You, as the partner of a migrant, no longer have access to work rights and have to jump through all the same hoops that your skilled partner had to. I can't help but feel like that's going to be kind of sexist. Correct. You got it. Like it's hugely sexist hugely when we sexist. think about it. We, we're asking you to move across the world yep. and require the other person to sit at home. Yep, that's right. And you've got to jump through all of those difficult hoops just to get a job to support your family. Otherwise, you've just got to be a person of leisure at home. Yeah, exactly. People want jobs for all sorts of reasons Correct. other than money. Correct. Often the jobs that we were talking about in the hospitality sector, these partners may be doing that. You know, Maybe just pick up a few mm. hours as a barista, maybe you pick up a few hours as a cleaner or whatever it is you do. There's lots of opportunity out there and all of a sudden we've taken away these work rights and the middle of a labour shortage. Mm. That to me just feels completely disconnected from reality. The second major change that this government has put in is changing the concept of investor migrants. So previously, if you were an investor that came to New Zealand and invested $10 million into the New Zealand economy, which could be property, could be shares, could be bonds, could be direct into a business you could be put on a pathway to residency straight away. So when you say investor, you just mean rich person, right? Sure. <laughs> Wealthy person that comes over, gives the New Zealand economy $10 million in some way, shape and form. Uh, there'll be people out there being like, ah, the people that are making houses more expensive. <clears throat> Wrong. Didn't end up being the case over the last two years, They're did making it? nicer houses. <laughs> Shut the borders and oops, house prices went nuts. Yeah. So it ain't the rich people coming across the border. These mythical rich people that don't turn up. 
Labour, in their you know infinite wisdom, said, "Piss that right off. We're going to say invest in migrants down to only five million dollars. Yes, but you have to invest directly into a New Zealand business. So you have to buy shares." or give a safe note or whatever type of investment directly into a New Zealand business. You can't just buy shares on the stock exchange, you can't just buy bonds, and you can't buy property. You have to be actively involved, right? You have to be actively involved, yeah. You have to be on the ground. So the government thinks that this magic cornucopia of angel investors is going to come down out of the clouds from North America with all their money and just piss all this cash all over the New Zealand small business community and it's just going to change the world. It's one of those crazy things, eh? Like You struggle to understand what... The government's I don't know where they think trying to are. achieve with this. Firstly, it gets better. I'll, I'll let you let it get better then. It gets better. So the Labor Party's own consultancy, Burl Economics. So keep in mind, listeners, this is LabourParty.com, not LabourInGovernment.com. And the Productivity Commission. LabourParty.com. Yikes. Have both issued reports in the last few years to say that the previous investor migrant policy worked. Wow. Because if you enticed someone to come to New Zealand, settle here, buy a piece of property, the evidence is they would invest three times whatever that what amount was to. into the New Zealand economy. And generally speaking, that was eventually directly into business. That's cool. So if you restrict what they're allowed to invest in, because you, with your kind of government knows best hat on, says you can only invest directly into New Zealand businesses, which assumes there's an investable proposition out there, you just say, well, you, know, you can only come in for these very small reasons, despite the evidence saying to the contrary. And that's, you know, Labour Party aligned evidence. It's not even kind of like evidence from the other side of politics. Your own economic consultancy says the previous policy was all good, don't fuck with it, and they've gone and fucked with it. It gets real political, doesn't it? By the way, New Zealand listeners, nurses are still not on Immigration New Zealand's skills shortage list. Should we start reporting on that every week? I think we should. I think we should. Nurses still aren't on the skills shortage list. On the topic of reporting. Go on. We are joined in studio, Iron Duke Studio, by one of our favourite journalists of all times. We're joined today by Dilepa Fonseca from Stuff. That's right, for those listening from overseas, one of our largest media outlets is called Stuff. It's quite simple, you just Google Stuff and there you are, Dilepa. So welcome, thank you for coming on the podcast. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. Good you know, big mind. fans, I have to say that, uh, first off the bat, to those who haven't been inside this podcast studio it is as professional as you expect it do you guys uh, allow cigars in your i feel like this is a cigar sort of a we're cigar people if we're honest (laughs) let's let's talk afterwards (laughs) brilliant so tell us a little bit about yourself and your career and how you've moved through into journalism into the position you're at now so i started out at the auckland newsroom of stuff Mm -hmm. doing general news reporting sort of infrastructure and things like that Um, a little bit of sort of migration things like that and then went over to uh, Newsroom, where I worked in the gallery yep. for the oh. Newsroom team. And it was you know excellent right through COVID, which was a very interesting time. Wow, yeah, nice. Yeah. Um, oh, before that, I also worked as the council report of the Dominion Post, uh, which during the Ouch. Everyone's got to do their time, <laughs> yeah. The last uh, council election. And now I'm primarily based out of Auckland, working for Stuff's business team. It's an excellent uh, experience. I kind of cover a wide range of uh, topics. Yep. I sort of have a weekly column in the sort of Stuff uh, website and papers and things like that and focus on things with a bit of a longer lens, I guess, some of those larger issues. What do you think the attributes of those stories are? How, how do you come up with that stuff? It's a really interesting question. Somebody, when I was uh, starting out in journalism, I remember when I was a reporter at the Dominion Post on that council round, you know, the council round is 
if you're ever on it. A lot of the councillors are very disparate for a story to appear and believe that their point of view and their issue is the most important one to put on the agenda. So as a reporter, you get a lot of things pitched to you, especially on an election yeah, year. And it can get very difficult at the time when you get a pitch like that to decide, hey, maybe I should be writing about this. You know, Maybe I should write about this issue or that issue. And I remember going to one of uh, my news directors who are the kind of, you know, they're the second year sort of in charge of you kind of thing yep. and um, with a pitch for something. And I was sort of, what do you think? And he said, do you think it's interesting? And I gave my honest answer, no. It's like, well, <laughs> it's not interesting to you, probably not interesting. Yeah, no. <laughs> that's my baseline. Yeah. And I think sometimes when you get to report in depth on an area, it's better because then you get a better understanding and you sort of understand the significance of things a bit better as well. Cool. And you can give others a better understanding. Yeah, exactly. You can see where the gaps are, especially, I mean, I think it's really good that as reporters and journalists and things, we're all active in our you know, communities. We're all always talking to people. That's kind of a, I think, a common trait, you know, amongst like, you know, journalists. Journalists are always more introverted than um, you might think, but you kind of get a sense from talking to kind of people in your daily day life and things like that about what things are misunderstood by the public. And one thing that's always really a big eye for me in journalism is, you know, especially when you're from the outside and your regular Joe, I guess, you look at a lot of these issues and you think there's only one way of looking at it. You know, you have your point of view and you think, oh, that's, you know, terrible. And the interesting thing I think about all journalism is that when you spend a bit of time with somebody who's on the other side of an issue or something, even though you may not probably end up agreeing with them 100%, you do see the other side of the story, even if perhaps the real truth of something might lie in another direction. I think you can always see that you can understand why somebody comes at something from a particular point of view. Yeah, that's, that's important, right? That's the, that's the whole concept of the fourth estate and the whole role of media, right? Yeah. And so thinking thinking about the, the role of media and journalism, what's the state of it right now? Because you, you mentioned before COVID has been a tough time for journalists and we've seen lots of kind of sad stories in the news about newsrooms shrinking and shrinking and shrinking and there's the big merger the government's doing and all of that. What's the mood in the, in the journalism sector, in your sector? What, what, how would you describe it? It is a mixture of very good and very bad. One thing I would say to anybody, and when I came into journalism, a lot of people were very down on the profession, yeah. and even when I was in it. Yeah. And so I always, at any opportunity that I can, always try and promote it as, use. this is now the time to be a journalist. And that. so there's all these vacancies. But then on the other hand, uh, a lot of those vacancies are because people are just tired from COVID. I mean, imagine if you were in charge of health or something, yeah, yeah. reporting on that issue. Wow. You know, pre-COVID, it was an important, obviously, issue, but it wasn't like a kind of daily Headline. update, yeah, exactly. you know, issue yeah. kind of where there would be a story every day. Imagine COVID hits. It, it takes a lot of toll on the reporters, so there's a lot of tired out reporters. Yeah. So I think that... There's a lot of opportunity out there. And the media has been disrupted. Uh, I mean, I'm reading that book about Robert Maxwell, who was, you know, former media mogul who massively crashed and burned. Uh, but, you know, even in that time, there was media, you know, changes in the media, the style of, you know, the ownership of companies, the, yep. you know, it was a tumultuous time. I think the media has always had some level of disruption, as with most industries. I mean, look, yeah. at, in our lifetime alone, we've seen the arrival of the 24-hour news cycle. We've also seen probably the demise of print media and same point you know so speaking of you know different forms of media and different forms of writing and whatnot you have written i've got here a short list of three topics that you've written on in the last three months you've written on the death of free trade which we're going to talk about in just a second you've written on assisted dying and you've written on zombie firms 
it's a pretty wide range of, of topics to be able to cover. And you're finding that Kiwi's engaged and they kind of, that's pretty interesting. Yeah, well, they're all different things. The assisted dying one is actually part of the whole truth project. So there's a whole bunch of different reporters who are jumping in on that. But that's what you hope for, right, is to do a wide variety of stuff when you're a journalist. And that's one of the great privileges of the job is to be able to have a lot of insights into a lot of different industries. You know, there's not many opportunities for the average person on the street to get to ask somebody else who's an expert in the industry mm. for their knowledge or their understanding of a particular topic. And, you know, as a journalist, you get kind of a little bit of a license to ask a lot of awkward, strange totally. questions for those who are willing to give up their time. Um, you know, you can find a lot out. You're talking to the experts, you're getting quite a few different perspectives on this. Where's New Zealand at with trade? It is an interesting thing, right, because I think definitely in the last few years, I think that we are just, it seems, a little too transactional in a lot of our trade relationships. We're all about uh, the door-to-door sales, less about establishing long-standing relationships. You know, you can see that in just the difference in ways that these issues are covered overseas. If you look at the overseas media and you look at how different countries' governments and their diplomatic visits are covered, it's all about issues to do with relationships, to do with politics, whereas over here we largely focus on just... Buy our milk. Yeah. Selling how stuff. much did you? Yeah. How, how much did you manage to sell? How much did you manage to knock off tariffs? And all that stuff is obviously very important. But I think that some of these relationships are also very important. And I think we're maybe coming to the point of time where we're sort of running out of places to, you know, lower some of these barriers to trade and. We're going to have to focus a lot more on understanding different countries yeah. and, you know, establishing, you know, relationships. And I think that's going to be a big thing in the coming years. That's why I sort of wrote about it. And I think that's so important, particularly in New Zealand, where we have such short-termist thinking. And it links to both that point around, like, what people want to read. But to your point on trade, how we are choosing to engage and that inability to build enduring relationships that a lot of our counterparties, who are some of the biggest trading nations in the world, have been doing for millennium. Mm, exactly. And there's a lot of things that, you know, you would have seen in the news, a lot of the developments in the Pacific and the, the Pacific Forum, and yeah. that almost seemed to take us, you know, by surprise. Yeah. I think that these deeper relationships should be a priority. How do we exert our soft power in a way that's respectful and builds deep relationships over a long time, right? Yeah, exactly. And the negotiations that happened around, uh, you know, India and New Zealand free trade, and we went through something like 10 rounds, I think, of negotiation Mm. at one point. We never really established those deep ties. New Zealand sort of wanted a China-style free trade agreement with India, and India is not really set up for that kind of a thing. And it's a different political environment. You know, China was looking to make an example, was looking for a place to test out its kind of trading relationships with India you know they've got lots of people knocking on their door and they sort of don't understand why are we exerting all this energy and things for our own country you know New Zealand's standing in some ways has never been higher you know internationally we've got a great you know prime minister with a great reputation abroad the relationships between you know the EU and New Zealand have probably possibly never been better and I don't think it's because of the borders closed I think it's sort of the pandemic was an opportunity that people saw how, you know, New Zealand kind of was able to manage certain aspects of the pandemic. Our government appeared stable at a time yeah, when perhaps point. a lot of other countries did not appear stable. That possibly had an, had an impact. And I agree with your, your point around our, our international standing, but that's true for only so long, right? And unless we kind of get back out there and start building those relationships like you talk about and start re-engaging in, with the world, we are at risk of being left behind. When we're doing it this time, 
um, maybe we have to do it a different way. I mean, I think that we've always been out there and been sent, we've sent them for trade. You know, we've always sent them with the idea of, hey, what do we get at the end? Little, it's almost a... These little baggies of milk powder yeah. selling between them. <laughs> it's very sort of Trump-esque, you know, like they're kind of out of the deal. What are we getting out of this? Yeah. What are we getting out of NAFTA? And um, maybe we should think about using, uh, approaching some of these relationships a different way and try and establish longer standing relationships. Make more friends in different ways. Make, make more friends to sell more stuff. Make friends before you need them. Yeah, yeah. Is that nice? That's, That's a good That's way. It. So as is tradition on the Iron Duke podcast, we finish each interview with a very short hot or not. If you like what we have to say, it's hot. If you don't, it's not. So, Maddie, kick us off. All of mine are journalism adjacent. Interesting. First one, Andrea Vance's Blue Blood. I haven't read it, but hot. I mean, I'd want to read it, so... The impact of the stuff quiz on the New Zealand Public Service's productivity? Depends. Uh, I mean, on the one hand, I think it definitely does probably have an impact on productivity, but does that mean that it's a, is that a bad thing for the country? For the I'm going to say hot. <laughs> and lastly, Guy Williams' interview with Leo Malloy. Mm. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to say Not. You, you never try and play favourites yeah. with the candidates. Mm. So, you know, if you do something with one candidate, try and do it with all of them, yeah. or at least all of the front runners, you know. Yeah. So, that's uh, fair. All right, mine should be uh, pretty straightforward, I hope. So, first one uh, Fiji Tourism inviting Dr. Bloomfield for a holiday. Hola, Mr. Bloomfield. Well, he does need a holiday, so we're good to see him. Uh, Tapu Kinga under a bit of a cloud. I'm going to say neutral. <laughs> Is that. That works. That works for me. <laughs> And lastly, uh, New Zealand made feta. Hot. Definitely. There it is. Yeah. yeah. Well, you can't call it that for much longer. Dalipa, thank you so much for your time. Really enjoyed this conversation and we look forward to reading what you've got for us next. All right. Thank you very much for having me on the show.